Brian Millsap, chairman and CEO of Atlanta-based Black Hall Studios, is one of today's top entertainment executives. With a vision for Black Hall that's ambitious, energizing, and boundless, Millsap is blazing a trail through the heart of the South and setting his sights on the future of entertainment. Listen and learn as Ryan Millsap journeys through the myriad industries, people, and landscapes that traverse the complex and dynamic world of film production. I'm Donna Lowry here with the first Black Hall podcast, and with me is the CEO of Black Hall Studios, Ryan Millsap. Welcome. Thank you, Donna. We're excited about this to learn more about you on this particular podcast and find out what you're doing in Atlanta in particular. A lot of exciting things. There are a lot of exciting things going on. Let's talk about your background a little bit because I think it's fascinating. Really? The fact that you went to Biola University mm. to begin with. It's a small liberal arts school that has a, um, a history in Protestant Christianity, similar to Wheaton College in Chicago. They have a really tight relationship with USC. There's a joint degree uh, at USC, I know, in, in engineering, and I believe there's some that, that carry over like that in the STEM areas as well. And then you went on to get your master's in real estate development at USC. At USC, I did, yeah. And now you're a professor there, right? I, well, I, a little you know, bit. I, I, I had to retire from like actually teaching courses in 2015 because it was just too difficult. I moved to Georgia in 2014, and I actually taught at USC commuting back to L.A. And then I just said I have to, I have to give this up. And during your time that you were at... In, in undergrad at Biola, you were able to go over to Oxford College in England, the the famed Oxford College, I, yeah. and uh, and do some things in philosophy. Well, you know, I was I studied philosophy as an undergraduate, and um, in the world of philosophy, Oxford's really the center. And so to get to go and spend a year there studying philosophy was amazing. Yeah. I I really I believe I learned more in one year at Oxford than I learned in all the rest of my education combined. So when you left that part, you know, real estate, the philosophy, did you see yourself getting into the film industry at some point? No, I had no idea what my career was going to be. So where did all of this come from? I mean, it's a long, you know, it's a real estate journey. I mean, all this is just real estate. So, um, you know, it's interesting. One thing that you made me think of when we were talking about Atlanta and Biola and USC is that um, I'm actually reconnecting with Raphael Bostic coming up here in the next couple of weeks. I haven't seen him in years. Raphael is the president of the Atlanta Federal Reserve. But years ago, he used to be the head of the real estate program at USC. I did not know that. And Raphael is actually who hired me to come be a professor at USC. So, Your life I, always goes full circle. I've found that a lot. It's amazing when you like people that come into your life, go away, come back, and, and come back in different forms. Um, and so it's, it's really fun to, to see all the things Raphael's doing. I can't wait to catch up with him. So you started in, with the real estate in Atlanta. Talk about where you, where you started buying property. Well, I started doing real estate deals in Atlanta uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, we were buying apartment deals, and we were buying apartments all across the country. And then 2006, 2007, there wasn't a lot to buy. Right, the world was. It was a downturn. Well, Things it wasn't. Were bad. Yeah, it was just. A, it was hot. Actually, six and seven, everything was really hot. That's true. And then it was eight. Everything fell apart. Two thousand eight, and so two thousand eight. Uh, I think it was October when Lehman Brothers failed, and after Lehman Brothers failed, then I formed another company called Arenda, with uh, two wealthy families in Beverly Hills, 
and we went out and we bought 8,000 apartments. In the Atlanta area. 4,000 in Atlanta and 4,000 in the surrounding cities, Nashville, Raleigh, Chattanooga, Savannah. We actually even bought something in Tuscaloosa. Um, you know, 8,000 apartments is about 30 apartment complexes, right? So it's about 30 deals. That, feel, that feels more manageable, right? When you think that... It seems huge to me, but okay. Well, it, it was, it was a, a really interesting time in commercial real estate and residential real estate in particular uh, because the markets had become very illiquid and with illiquidity comes pricing pressure and pricing pressure just opened up a lot of opportunity for us. And so, um, you know, all the things that I've ever done in real estate are um, either focused on one of two things. They're new and innovative or they're wide margin of safety distressed. So, we not only did all the apartments, but then we also did a lot of real estate in Los Angeles where we took warehouses and converted them to retail, or we took warehouses and converted them to creative office, or we took an old retail center that was in a really good location in Pasadena, retenanted it, and then you know sold it off to a big institution. We, um, along the way, interestingly, I think it was 2012, we bought an, a, a warehouse in Hollywood, and Live Nation, the entertainment company came to us and said, if you take this warehouse and turn it into a soundstage, we'll lease it from you for 10 years. So that was the first time anyone had mentioned anything dealing with sound stages. You Correct. were dealing with regi- residential real estate up until that point in many cases. I mean, well, you know, apartments and then uh, other commercial real estate that was unique. Right. Okay. So I call the unique commercial real estate stuff just sniper shot. Right. It's like a one time deal. It's not a business plan. You can't replicate it. There's just a big opportunity on a particular piece of land. Love that. Right. Um, buying all the apartments, that's a company. Right. You can buy apartment deal after apartment deal and really pipeline it. And, you know, one apartment deal in the suburbs is not totally dissimilar from another apartment deal in the suburbs. And so there, it's a commodity. Right. So you're buying in bulk. I love that. So you're 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 buying in bulk, and there was the downturn in the in the economy, all over the all over the uh, the nation. Here in Atlanta, we saw some problems, and then it just happened to be an opportunity for you. Tell us how you ended up switching from just well, the residential not, to well, and again, you know, it's not just residential real estate; it's really right. commercial in general. And okay. so, remember that real estate, it, when it comes to business real estate. All it is is providing space for someone to execute a trade, right? Whether it's owning an office building and I then provide a space for a lawyer to execute his trade, or okay. I own a hospital and I provide a space for a doctor to execute his trade, or I own a movie studio and I provide a space for a producer and a director and an actor to execute his trade. It's still just space. So the kind of space, the shape of the space, the, um, the use of the space is really what defines real estate. And in this instance, all I'm doing is taking transferable real estate skills and applying them to the entertainment industry. So I'm trying to get to the point where you you say, do you think to yourself, well, this is a hot place to start opening uh, movie studios, to use your that commercial space. Right. right. To- well, I moved to Atlanta in 2014. Um, we had a lot of apartments. And um, on top of it, then I had a uh, a wonderful new girlfriend that the love of my life that I just, you know, wanted to chase to Atlanta too. I love when those are included in interviews when you talk about the people you care about because they do make a difference in what you do with your life. It, it, it makes a huge difference. It I does. mean, she made a huge difference in my Good. life in so many ways. But um, 2014 was the same year that Pinewood opened. 
That's right. Right. And so from a real estate standpoint, the first question I started to think about when I heard about Pinewood was, why did they build it in Fayetteville? Interesting. Right? Because if you're from a pure real estate standpoint, the first place you wouldn't think about building a movie studio, it wouldn't be Fayetteville. Right. And I know that it would be very difficult for me to capitalize a movie studio development in Fayetteville. So I thought, who built that? Why'd they build it there? What was the strategy? And so I was wondering, like, did they build it in Fayetteville because they wanted to be out in the middle of nowhere for silence? Or did they want to be out there for security? Close to the airport? How close to the airport? Or was there other land that was closer to the airport? Like, you know, what's the strategy? And I, and I, coming from LA, I knew that all the studios were in the middle of town. Now, when they were built 100 years ago, they were out on the outside of town. They were in, in places Correct. where you could buy land sure. cheap. And so I thought, okay, maybe it's like that. Maybe they just were looking for land cheap. But then, you know, without too much time passing, I found out that Dan Cathy had right. put up all the money and he had built Pinewood and that Dan was from Fayetteville. Yes, that's exactly it. And so then the strategy was love, right? It was Dan loving his hometown, wanting to give back to his hometown, wanting to build something beautiful, have it near where he lived. And that's a wonderful, amazing strategy if you're as successful and wealthy as Dan. Because he's, you're a one-check writer and you do what you want. That's right. But for a real estate guy that's dependent on attracting capital that's not just their own, then that strategy wouldn't work. But what that did open up and, and where um, you know both Dan and Frank Patterson, who's the president of Pinewood, are you know wonderful to me. And we have, a, we have really good business relationships. And I love those guys. They're fantastic. And I tell them all the time, if it wasn't for what you've done, we would not have achieved nearly the scale or the prestige or the success that we've, uh, that we've seen in Georgia to this point. They're giants in the metro Atlanta area. And Truett Cathy, um, Dan's father, was an amazing man. Legend. Who I had the fortune of getting to know. I interviewed him, too, in the past. I didn't have that fortune, but I've heard incredible things about him. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So you raised a good son, too, and now you're learning from him. Yes, he did. Yeah, right. And so building Pinewood in that location then opened up the opportunity for a real estate guy to say, if it works in Fayetteville and if it works for the biggest studio, most important scaling studio in the world, Marvel, well, what if we built Pinewood in the city? And so then I just started to talk to people, all kinds of people, people in LA, people in, in Atlanta. And the question is, what if we built Pinewood in the city? And over and over, we'd hear the same thing. If you build Pinewood in the city, you're going to kill it. Because the only thing we don't like about Pinewood is driving there. I see. So then it just became a simple thesis. It's already been proven. It's been proven in a location that um, is outside of town. So now what if we took that same thing and put it in town? And then that's what we did. And it's, you know, we really have just gotten shot out of a cannon. So, you know, we've been open almost three years. And in that time, we've done multiple deals with Disney, multiple with Sony, multiple with Warner Brothers, multiple with Lionsgate, um, HBO, Universal, Legendary, Skydance, and Fox. I love it. Talk about some of the shows that we know, some of the movies and shows that we know. The ones that have come out that you would know uh, would be Venom with Tom Hardy. Yes. Uh, most recently, the the latest Jumanji, Jumanji: The Next Level, which I've actually watched twice now. I took some kids, and then I went on my own. So they've they've I've seen really it twice. they've really got a fantastic um, concept in the whole Jumanji 
series of movies. I can see it going out. on and on and on. Well, I don't know why it wouldn't. You know, it's it, what's interesting about this too to me is that it's the blend that you see in a lot of places happening between gaming, so yes. esports and, and gaming and entertainment. Um, you know, I I came home uh, one day over over Christmas and my kids were home watching TV and I walked in. I said, "What are you guys watching?" And they said, "Oh, we're watching so and so play Minecraft." Wow. Right? Because now kids watching other kids play video games or kids watching professionals play video games are as much entertainment as adults watching other guys play football. Isn't that something? Right? And for them, it's the equivalent. It's a whole world that I didn't even know about until recently. Right. And and so what's going on in in esports is has this crossover and you see it in movies like Jumanji that are all based on the notion that they get sucked into a video game. Right or the movie Ready Player One, right. all based on an alternate reality uh, that is that the entire plot centers around this alternate reality inside of a game. So, I think we're going to see more and more of this theme. It's going to be a jumping-off point for all sorts of other stories to be told. And I think um, I think you'll see things going the other way, where movies get made into games, right? That's fascinating. And it's not just games getting incorporated into movies. And used as a plot line to allow for all sorts of imaginative fa- uh, fantasy. Oh, I love that. I'm I'm into it. Who would think somebody in, at my age would be into it? But I love the, I love the concept of that. So you mentioned Jumanji. You mentioned Venom. Mentioned some others. Um, other movies you would know Godzilla. Ah, yes, right? of course. Uh, the recently uh, Warner Brothers came out with Dr. Sleep, the sequel to The Shining. Yes. That was made here at Blackhall. That's a scary uh, thing for me. I, it's not one I'm going to see. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, The Shining, just the, I wouldn't be able to sleep. I stay away from scary movies yeah, myself. Yeah, my yeah, okay. my imagination yes. is too active and yes. my memory is too long. <laughs> so i got to be really, really careful what I put in my brain. I get it. Um, other the, Clint Eastwood was here for The Mule. Oh, nice. Now, he I, did all of that on location. So he would use Black Hall as a base, and then they'd go out into the world and they'd do their filming. I love that. Mm-hmm. So the, it has allowed you to um, learn about the movie industry. And I think the key is you don't have to be a member of it to do what you're doing, to have Black Hall Studios and expose yourself to all of this and expose the Atlanta area to all the opportunities that exist. Well, think about... You know, most of the people that are running movie studios, they are a long way removed from the actual production of product. So they live in a world, which is the world that I live in, which is like 30,000 feet of ideas and money. And if you're living at the world of ideas and money, then your job is to identify trends and opportunities that then you hire specialists into those trends and opportunities to go execute a particular plan. And so... I can apply those skills in real estate. I can apply those skills in movie making. So we, um, you know, we've been working on, on some uh, production quality stuff that I think in the future will go much deeper into um, production of movies in a totally separate venture, right? That has nothing to do with the real estate itself, but has everything to do with the relationships that are being born from doing business with all the biggest and best uh, movie makers in the world. I love that. Can you give us any key, you know, a little bit of, a little bit more of that? What? Yeah, what I'll are tell you. you about? I'll tell you a, a really fascinating um, idea and story that um, has been evolving. One of my uh, buddies from Biola. Um, that keeps coming up. 
it keeps so you never know listen, about those connections cir- in a circles relationships, around so relationships. when we got out of college he went on and became one of the most famous navy seals of our generation no kidding yeah he was a seal for 14 years love that Nine of those years, he was on SEAL Team 6, which is the development team, kind of the ultimate team inside of the SEALs. You have to be a SEAL for five years before you can, are even eligible to apply to become a, a SEAL Team 6 member. And he, he was on SEAL Team 6. He became a leader on SEAL Team 6. Um, he led the raid on Osama bin Laden. Uh, he led, led the raid to save Captain Phillips. Wow. Yeah. He's an absolute legend. So if we were all Navy He went SEALs, to college with you. We went to college together. Yeah. He, he's from cool. Alaska. So he grew up in like, you know, um, very rough, very cold environments right? where, you know, you send him to San Diego for SEAL training and he's like, this is cold water? Yeah, right. totally, <laughs> totally a so, fish out of water. Anyway, he, he, um, he graduated number one in his class from SEAL training and went on and had this really illustrious career. He retired five years ago and when he retired, he went out to Los Angeles and got a meeting with Les Moonves, who was running CBS at the time. Okay. I think Les took the meeting mostly because he was a famous SEAL. Right. Right? And... I would. Why wouldn't you, right? I mean, American hero. Exactly. And so he goes into Les, and he pitches him on this idea of the show SEAL Team that's on CBS now. And it's uh, gone into its Love third season. Show. He's um, the executive producer of the show. I'm a huge fan, and so is my um, retired Army officer husband. So, yeah. Well, you know, that show, my daughter. all of the B-roll... So all of the tactical movement is done by real SEALs. That's part that. of the magic of the show, right? I did is not that know that. They're taking those guys years and years and millions of dollars of training and tr- and then putting it on the screen as actual real tactical movement. That's I part of the genius about, of the show. Yeah, I wondered about that because teaching actors to do that would be tough, don't you think? I don't know. I've it's wondered. impossible, right? There's a reason why right. it takes years and years of training to be able to run tactical movement sure. in the way that they do so efficiently and productively. Makes sense. Um I went out to visit him and, and his team in L.A., and I met a number of their writers. Two of the writers are ex-SEALs, right, in order to try to keep everything really authentic, where right. you know the, one of the writers will come up with some plot twist that is bizarre, and the SEAL will go, that'll never happen. We're not doing that, right? And so he's really, stu- he's really been committed to authenticity. The other thing that I love is that their crew base has slowly filled out with as many veterans as possible. Nice. Right, so they have this this show about the military that is being made by military veterans. That's how beautiful. cool is that? I do love it. So he was at, and we were brainstorming, and we were talking about like what might be next for him. And he lives in Colorado, but he you know produces this show in Los Angeles. And I said to him, I said, you know, I've got an idea that I think you should entertain. What would you think about this? What if you moved to Georgia, and what if we started a production company? that all we did was make military content. Oh, I'm in. I right? love that. That's so a great idea. It's everything from just the tactical gun movement that is uh, John Wick. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To Black Hawk Down, which is true military. Yeah. But then everything in between. Jason Bourne could be in there. Bad Boys 3 could be in there. If there are guns and those guns are being used for violence, then we might make that movie. I love it. Right? I mean, it's a pretty yeah. simple criteria. Sure. It's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's driven by the idea of gun, ta- gun tactics. And so um, what you have is then you have the opportunity to build an entire production studio similar to Tyler's, like Tyler Perry. So right. Tyler Perry has a very genre-specific sure. production company, and this becomes a very genre-specific uh, production company. But you're doing it in a state that is military-friendly, 
Absolutely. That is gun friendly. Yes. That is Americana friendly. Yes. Right? And right. so now suddenly you're producing a, a type of content that a lot of Georgians can get really excited about. You are a genius. You are a genius. Well, that's, that's what we're wonderful working. stuff. We're working on that right now, which I think is that's good. Um, a huge idea. It's a built-in audience, and, they, and there are people who don't know that they want this, that once they see it, will love it. There are people that love this type of content, right? Exactly. They, they love um, high action, high octane shoot 'em ups. I'm married to one of them. <laughs> and he runs out of stuff to watch. That's it. There's not yeah. enough of this content. Yeah. If you like this kind of content, yeah. you run out of things very quickly. Yeah. He's, he's uh, complained about the military channel, which he watched for years, and they don't give, give him what he wants anymore. You know, he's not getting it there. So, yeah, I love it. But so that's that an stuff. example of kind of the evolution of this industry. Sure. Right. How how the real estate, the core real estate and the core infrastructure and the core production then evolves over time into all sorts of other things that are separate businesses, totally separate ideas, but all born out of the same ecosystem. I love that. And there's there's almost no limit, is there? I mean, at this point, there there it's only limited by your imagination, the things you could come up with. It sounds like. Well, I'll tell you what, what's really fascinating about Georgia and Georgia's place in the in the entertainment industry right now is that there's only six cities that really matter in production, and that's Los Angeles, okay. New York, Atlanta, you know Georgia, right. right? London, Toronto, and Vancouver. Right. Of those six cities, there's only one that really has land to grow. Is Atlanta. that Atlanta? Atlanta right. and Georgia, right? You think of like Georgia, you think of the corridor from from uh, Atlanta to Savannah. Sure. That corridor could grow huge in entertainment. And I'm telling you, this area is hungry for it. Mm -hmm. It is what, from what I have understand as a, a law, I'm, I've been interviewing lawmakers down at the Capitol as the Capitol correspondent for a show called Georgia Public Broadcasting's Lawmakers Show. And what we've talked about just all week has been economic development and and Georgia being the number one state for business. And so the the movie industry, the film industry, is considered the the jewel for the state in this. So what what are the what are the how do you see it in terms of the economic development realm, um, the film industry? Well, there's two there's two major pieces. Obviously, the infrastructure has played a huge role to this point, which is all just you know land and buildings providing space to make great movies, combined with the fact that we have a great crew base here in Georgia. Exactly. Right? A lot of it left over from Turner, right? We have this huge legacy of Turner in the 90s, and so we had all these people that were trained in entertainment and television that were dying for new jobs, and a lot of them, there was a diaspora of Georgians got sent out all over the world who had this training, but there, there wasn't enough work, and then now that we're bringing, we're bringing this work back, now we can bring all those Georgians back, which is exciting, and we, and we see that all the time. Yeah. So the, there's more infrastructure that can be built over time. But then the next piece is really the development side, which you see Pinewood doing. Frank Patterson just raised a, a fund to uh, buy entertainment companies and start producing content themselves, which is very exciting. They're, you know, I, I'd had breakfast with Frank just yesterday. I told him, I said, here you guys are tip of the spear again. Right? You were tip of the spear on all the uh, infrastructure, and you're going to be tip of the spear again on all of the content. Aside from Tyler, who's a self-made genius, right? I mean, Tyler's a, a world unto himself. But the difference is, is that Tyler's built everything with his own money and then other people paying him to make productions. This is, the, this is really the first time that uh, Georgians have raised capital to start investing directly into entertainment which I think is one of the most exciting things about what Frank just did. Oh, it's absolutely exciting. And and like I said, the interest is there. Um, and the lawmakers, it, this, despite the fact that we've been hearing about this 
horrible audit that uh, was um, a lot of people thought was too biased one on one end uh, against this film industry that this has this ball is rolling in Georgia in terms of the film industry just growing and it's not going to stop. I mean, this is like the boulder chasing Indiana Jones. It I is. mean, this thing is gigantic, has so much momentum. It's very, very heavy. And I, I think we would be crazy to try to stop it. Yeah, I want to get into some of the things that uh, that you talked about. And so when we mentioned your your time at Oxford for a while, I understand that you called that time magic. How do how do you how do you take that time and look at the way life is right now for you? I mean, my life right now is incredibly magical. Um, I've 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 been going through um, amazing soul awakenings that I would have never predicted. Um, but I'm very grateful for. That's probably for a totally different conversation. But. Uh, okay, we 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 know you've uh, you flourish at all kinds of levels as an, a successful entrepreneur. Um, we know the world of business can be down and dirty. Take no prisoners. <laughs> then how do you remain steadfast and believing ideas that bring you joy? Um, I hear you have a you say something from the neck to the kneecaps type thing. How did you know Tell that? me yeah. about that a little bit. That's what that means and what that what others should know about that. Well, I, you know, I'll tell you a couple of things. One, I believe that the best decisions by human beings are made from the neck down. Okay. Right. I believe that our brains should only be turned on to solve problems, but they shouldn't be turned on to solve major life decisions. So your heart should be involved think, the mm. everything, there all your muscles, everything. I okay. think I think that our that the, the the area of our body across our chest informs us about all sorts of things that we have passion about. Right? I think that uh, the area that's our guts informs us right. about all sorts of things about what direction we should go, which what we should trust, who we should trust, right? I'm I'm into gut gut beliefs, whatever my gut tells me. Right. And then we've got an area below our guts that can help us choose a mate. That's true. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which is gonna And we talked about that a little in, earlier in this conversation. That's it, important. It's it's hugely important. <laughs> and I think that's more important than a, than a checklist in your brain. Sure. Right. So um, but what I will tell you is that the thing that uh, one of the things that I've been going through and really reflecting on is that for a lot of my life, I held it as a virtue to be an amazing friend and a terrible enemy. No kidding. Right. Where I wanted to be incredibly good to those that um, were I'm close to and incredibly ruthless to those people that would fight against me. And that was I, something from growing up or I think so. You know, my my father was a, a special forces marine. No kidding. That yeah. tells me a lot about you. He he was, you know, a particular kind of sure. personality. He was in Vietnam in 68 and 69. I had a dad in Vietnam too. So very heavy fighting and and I grew up in a house that had just a high comfortability with harsh words. Exactly. Right? Things were things were very, very candid. I get you. Uh, but on a level that might be unhealthy. That I, you know, but you don't, you only know what you grew up with. And so exactly. I grew up in an environment where I was incredibly comfortable with graphic language. Okay. Which, you know, I, I don't think, it, where, where that translates is that then I took on a, a notion of the world that it was a, um, a place for a noble warrior to fight noble causes. Which it is, on yes, some it degree. Is. Yeah. But a lot of enemies are made up in our own minds. That's true. That's right? where you get rid of the head and you focus back on that bottom part of your body. Correct. <laughs> okay. And so what I've, what I've in, in most recently gone through is I've realized that I've created a lot of my own suffering in my life hmm. based on ego decisions born from just blindness. 
And in the realization of how terrible that kind of suffering is, I realized like, I don't want to bring any more suffering into the world. And so if you really taste the suffering at the deepest level, then you can pop out on the other side and be in a place where your, your life shifts and you just start to say, it doesn't matter what's coming at me. I refuse to bring more suffering. I love that. And so many people can relate to that, but it takes a while. It, it sounds like you've had a chance to really step back and think about this. Well, you have to, you have to experience something so profoundly painful for yourself born from your own choices that then you might actually understand what you're doing to yourself. So like in my inst my, my example, we were talking earlier about my um, wonderful ex-girlfriend that it was a reason I came to Atlanta. Well, we, she left our relationship largely because my ego was so outsized that I had so much ego pain from things that had gone on in our relationship, but that, that left me in a place where I didn't treat her the way I should have. And so I lost that relationship because of my own terrible decisions. Now, the realization that that relationship was gone forever took the suffering in my life to such a high degree that my own ego was revealed to me. To, revealed to me. And it was like I could, I, my ego was drug into the sunlight and turned into ashes like a vampire. And in that moment, new love and light started to flow through me. And real, I realized like there's so many things I need to change that can make my life better. So how do you take what you've learned, mm -hmm. what, what have you done to take that and translate into being the incredible businessman that you are? Well, I just, I just don't take things personally, right? When, if people do things that I think are um, inappropriate or obscene or um, unfair, then I just recognize that it's not about me. I don't need to take that personally. And I just need to be rational and objective and, um, and centered. In those, in those decisions and avoid contributing more suffering to the suffering that's already sitting on the table. It's a lesson that um, others need to learn who want to do what you're doing to be successful as an entrepreneur, as a businessman. Yeah, sometimes you think that it's just all about the fight, right? It's all about the tenacity. And sometimes you need tenacity to overcome things, but sometimes it's just about being able to let it go and I'm stay centered. I love the fact that you, you know, we think of, you, know, you mentioned the ruthlessness, but we think of people in the corporate world, people in business, people in positions like yours, not having the heart. And you're saying the heart is actually going to make you more successful. It's our, I mean, my life, I see it right away. My relationships are all being transformed in a really beautiful way. Um, my decision making is more clear. Um, my, um, you know, my body's even reaping benefits of the purging right? The purging of negativity, the purging of suffering that I'm seeing like even um, positive influence on my, on my physiology. Yeah. I think we, we're all getting to the point where we're hearing more about get rid of that toxic part of your life, you know? Yeah. But do you really know what that means? Like yeah. we, we have all this language, exactly. but then the only thing sometimes, I mean, th this is the worst part. It'd be great if we could just wake up on our own accord or we really could just say, you know what? I see that so clearly, but oftentimes it's only the accumulation of the suffering that's born from all our negative choices that then actually opens our eyes and helps us realize, wow, I'm doing this to myself and I'm doing this to other people. Yeah. It's, it, you want that realization early in life, not too far until I, yeah. Oh, God, we'd all, we'd all be so much better off. I've got to get, before we, we close up, um, it, um, you've got Black Hall and you're, you're such an astute businessman and all, but, um, and, and you, it, 
you're t- we've talked about the the whole the fact that you've focused on real estate. Mm-hmm. But have you become a film buff yourself? It sounds like you've it's changed you a little bit, and that you're. I've always loved movies. I've yeah. never I've never had an inclination to be a movie maker. But I love the business of film, and as I've learned more and more about the business of film and business of television, it fascinates me. One of the things that I I think is so fascinating is imagine that we're the board of Disney, and we decide to make the movie Jungle Cruise, which was made here at Blackhall, comes out this summer. Love it. The Rock, Emily Blunt, I mean, amazing cast. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great movie. But imagine we decide to make a $250 million movie. So we call up our favorite producer and we say, hey, we want you to make Jungle Cruise for us. Here's $250 million. Come back in a year with a movie. So he takes our $250 million. He comes out, does all sorts of you know, magical things, walks back to us at the end of the year, and all he has for us is a data disk. He says, there you go, $250 million. That's all you have left is a digital file. $250 million digital file. That's How amazing. fascinating is that? That's your asset. <laughs> Disney's assets can all be put onto a, a hard drive. What a All world. their assets that matter, all the intellectual property, can just sit on one hard drive, and that's worth billions and billions of dollars. And that's fascinating. Well, it's unlimited. That. Yeah. Right? So real estate is a limited asset. Right? I can't just manifest more real estate. I can't. There's only so much I can build on a piece of real estate before I have to go buy more real estate. There's an unlimited amount of entertainment that I can create. And I, I see you doing it, and I see the Atlanta and Georgia area benefiting so much from it. It's been fascinating to talk with you, Ryan Millsap, CEO of Black Hall Studios. Thank you so much for talking with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening to the Black Hall Studios podcast with Ryan Millsap. We want to hear from you. Find us on SoundCloud iTunes, or Spotify. And follow us on Instagram at at Blackhall Studios and at Ryan.Millsap. 